I'm Mandy. And I'm Jessica. And this is The Coop. You're listening to The Coop Homeschool Podcast. This is your podcast for community, humility, and joyful fun in homeschooling. This is episode 79, Dumbing Us Down, part six, chapter five. Please note, we have some sound quality issues during this episode due to the two live rabbits we had in the room with us. We have our final chapter and talk about dumbing us down today. Final countdown. Yep, it's part six, believe it or not. And we're covering chapter five and some of the um, bonus and the afterward that yeah. Gatto wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we dive in, Mandy, what's your scoop on the coup? Okay, well, for those watching the YouTube, we're in a totally different location yes. here because uh, we got bunnies and everything in the room got moved around a little bit. So that's been exciting, but that's not even my scoop. Yeah. My scoop is um, Mark Rober. Have you ever heard of Mm-mm. him? He's a YouTube channel guy. My Rober. Fa- Oh, maybe it's Rober. (laughs) That sounds familiar. But he is a YouTube, like, phenomenon. Okay. But he does physics stuff. Oh. And he's funny, and you don't even know you're watching physics. Like, he does the the elephant volcano. Yeah, the elephant toothpaste. Yeah, Yeah. he does that kind of stuff. But he's the one who broke the world record, and... um, and people try and imitate him oh, and stuff. And But the coolest thing was, so this morning we spent about an hour and a half watching him. He made squirrel obstacle courses because he realized how smart squirrels yeah. are. So he created all these obstacle courses to see like the physics of what they could do. And and he talked about how they parachute out when mm-hmm. they're falling. Yeah. So the kids were fascinated. So That's I'm like, so cool. I think we just found our new YouTube channel guy right. because he talks about the physics of, of things. I mean, he's not all into the equations, but it, sure. it at least That's fine. increases their curiosity. Yeah. They see what things are possible. So it was really fun just sitting there and watching all these. And he has like a hundred videos. So we've, we've only broken into like five or six of them. Yeah, that's awesome. But so yeah. There's more. Yeah. So it's, it's fun. So that's my scoop. Very just, cool. Yeah. Um, we ended up having to flex our homeschooling schedule because our days were filled with birthday celebrations back in February. Um, and then... We were, had our field trips stacked, mm-hmm. and so while you know I don't necessarily believe in pushing through school, I also wanted to have be in the right place in our curriculum because we are doing the California history, and so we had our first mission, and we had finished at Explorers when we all went to Cabrillo, and so I was like, you know, I know it's a Sunday. It was Super Bowl Sunday, and I said, we're going to just power through. Yeah. We only have two pages to kind of read through and discuss. I'm not even diving into the missions. I just want to get us up to the point mm-hmm. where we talk about the beginnings of the mission. Well, it's nice to just to have a consistency yeah. in, in what you're learning. And so right. sometimes when I find that if I take one or two weeks break of like a unit study, yeah. you kind of like, okay, where were we? Right. And you kind of lose momentum. Right. And like we've always said, school is, we're, we're not slaves to a schedule. No. 
And so Sunday can be a wonderful time to talk about how awesome California history yes. is. And I talked about it with my daughter. I asked her if she was interested in the Super Bowl. You know, I said, I only need 30 minutes of your time. You know, yeah. can you give that to me so that we can get where we want to go and not mm-hmm. feel overwhelmed by it? Yeah, you know, and yeah. then um, now we have a whole month to go through the missions because we have the field trip spanning that long. And I like to keep our curriculum up to wh- what we're doing and visiting. So yeah. it's all really relevant. And we have behind us this beautiful yes. California missions map that we got at yeah. a San Diego, the San Diego mission. Yeah. I framed mine. I know. I was I going to. I just, yeah. yeah. I don't know. It's have a, a weird frame. size. Yeah. It's it not is. like a, yeah. yeah, it's not a standard size, but anywho, that's our scoops. Sounds good. Yes. Okay. So we have chapter five here. Um, chapter five was in part a lesson in economics. Um, Gatto discusses free markets and centralization and then finishes the chapter with what he deems to be the two official ways of looking at the state of education. Hmm. So Yeah, it was a really interesting chapter. Yeah, it was. So first, let's dive into the economics. Okay. Gatto begins the chapter by sharing some history of colonial New England, mm-hmm. the first Puritan church and its evolution. But we felt it was important to note that his history and theology on the church and their beliefs was not fully accurate. And this was something that you caught. Mm-hmm. I read right past it and was just jumping into why he was using it as a comparison. I didn't notice the the content as much as you did and yeah. it really stuck out to you because your husband is a historian yeah yeah and Gatto's not a historian no. so you can't really expect a historian level right. um academic you right. know um essay here but um so if it does interest you I would definitely not utilize Gatto's um history on it and just check out some church his- historians. Right. And- okay. So if you are interested in more on church history, your husband had a recommendation. Yeah. Um, it's a book called A History of Christianity in the United States and Canada by Mark Knoll. Perfect. Yeah. So that's our caveat to the chapter. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to dive back into the context. So Gatto is talking about economics, and then he's going to then apply this to the idea of schools. And so he's introducing two big terms through his conversation about this early church in Mm -hmm. New England. Mm -hmm. Um, And actually, I started to wonder if he was really talking about it because of what he wrote this chapter for. Um, He originally used this content as a talk, eventually one of the most popular arrows in my opinion peripatetic wow speaker's quiver big word oh my goodness <laughs> uh, began life in a slightly altered form as an essay in the main scholar main as in the state mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i'm wondering if that was why he was doing yeah. this yeah because like trying to speak people to would those connect people to it yeah. yeah um so he brings up two big terms congregational principle and dialectical thinking. Mm -hmm. And so the congregational principle emphasizes the right and responsibility of each properly organized congregation to determine its own affairs without having to submit these decisions to the judgment of any higher human authority outside of that congregation. Yeah. And as such, it eliminated bishops and presbyteries. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the early congregationalists 
in a nutshell. Yeah. And he's using this term and this idea to compare it to economics. And then dialectical thinking refers to the ability to view issues from multiple perspectives and to arrive at the most economical and reasonable reconciliation of seemingly contradictory information and postures. That's a lot of big words. It is. <laughs> <laughs> and so what he's saying is that the congregational procedure was dialectical down to its roots. Mm-hmm. And so he's saying that these, these two big ideas are really important and he uses the early church to show its um, successfulness yeah. in localization. So now let me contrast what he was using in economics terms. So he was saying that centralization was the problem when mm-hmm. the churches had to submit to a higher authority outside of their own congregation. It was not recognizing what that congregation was facing. It well, wasn't... It's kind of like why there was the American Revolution. Exactly. Because they're having to answer to someone across the sea they don't know what their hardships are they don't know what Mm -hmm. the people need right you know and so localization was what really worked for the congregationalists Mm -hmm. and then he's talking about monopolies right so then when you have centralization inevitably you're going to start getting these monopolies because they're going to start cookie cuttering they're going to take over everything and there's only going to be one higher authority he talked about the pyramid idea you know and so Uh there's all the people at the bottom and then it all refers up and up and up to a singular point. Um, But he contrasts it with the free market model. And then he references some um, classical economists, Adam Smith and David Ricardo, which I remember studying in college as an economics major back in the day. Um, But the classical economists focused on economic freedom and free competition. So what Gatto was saying in the Congregationalist history mm-hmm. was that they eventually would adapt to the changing people they were serving or when people were leaving the congregation to go be better served somewhere else yeah they had to adapt yeah they would adapt or die well and they had a choice right like, the next place they went to wasn't going to be the exact same thing exactly so um gatto believes that looking deeply into what had worked economically in colonial new england Mm -hmm. could be the solution or a solution to our school problem so he then wants to talk about the two official ways to view the state of education Mm -hmm. so this is what he believes are the two official ways that most people would view education okay the first is that it's an engineering problem there's a right and a wrong way. There are not individual possibilities. And he's saying that's bad. Yes. Well, this is, he's not saying that this is a solution or even specifically the actual oh, this problem. is how it is right now. This is how it is, and this is how most people interpret the problem. Oh, yeah. This is of the education. equation. Mm-hmm. If you follow this equation, right. this is what is the right way. And yeah. then if you don't follow the equation, this is the wrong way. Right. We're okay. not going to look at this as an individual. Like mm-hmm. in L.A., this could work for these kids in this school district. But in New York, it would need to be like this. In the suburbs of mm-hmm. the South, it should be like this. So that's like shutting down the charter schools who exactly. actually approach it in a different way. Right. Yeah. So that's an engineering problem. Like, right. no, cut that out because it's not – we can't have individualized education. Path. Yeah. And then the second way he believes that people view the state of education is in searching for a villain. I liked this one because Mm -hmm. that's always the truth, isn't it? Everyone's always pointing the blame somewhere else. Um, At teachers, at the curriculum is the problem. The politicians Mm -hmm. are the problem. And then they're trying to fix 
all these little problems right. without looking at the systemic right. problem. And it's crazy because the one that I hear now is that the parents are the problem. Oh, which, yeah. Well, why do you think they're taking parenting out of the hands of parents? Right. It gets me, you know, I mean, but especially with all the kids who came home and then there were rules about parents couldn't listen to the Zoom. I know. Well, I've heard many, not many, but a number of school leaders personally say, parents don't know. Right. What do parents know? And it's like, only their child. Right. Yeah. And our own experience. Most yeah. of us were publicly educated right. as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So... He then goes into talking about solutions, mm -hmm. and there are bad solutions. <laughs> of these are the parade of profit seekers. Mm -hmm. He talks about the immense number of different types of industries that mm -hmm. are trying to solve the problem. There's analysts. We're paying for consultants, for researchers, for academic houses, testing corporations, teachers' colleges, state oh, departments. Yeah. Oh yeah, because mm -hmm. that's what I was. That's what I was mentioning earlier. Yeah. Because you have all these different elements. Now you're hiring new elements, adding right. to the machine. Yep. To fix parts of the machine right. that you think are causing the break. Yeah, this is the engineering problem. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If we if we did this better, then all of this would just work. Right. You know, so you're solving this problem if and we address the bullies, yeah. then everybody would be happy. Right. And, and have social emotional intelligence. Exactly. Sure. And he called them all parasitic growths of the government monopoly over the school concept. Yeah. I thought that was really good, yeah, too, because really he's, he's very good with his words. He is. And it hits hard, but he's not wrong. No, I know. Um, and then he said the other bad solution is always looking for the easy way out. Mm -hmm. This is the dark side of the American dream, he calls mm -hmm. it. And it's really true. Uh, advertisers prey on those looking for the quick fix. Yeah, I mean, yeah. look at the state of, of commercialism today. Yeah. You know, we're always thinking about that thing that can solve our problems. Oh, if I just had this better thing, you know, and look at our lives. Yeah. You know, and I wish I weren't this way, but I know. even it's just ingrained subconsciously into us that there's a solution to everything. Mm -hmm. Find it and get out of this Find problem. the first solution. Right. The first easy one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Don't do the hard yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then he talks about... Um, School reform, which he says, school reform to most of us is an engineer reaching for the right wrench mm. or Perry Mason finding the clue he needs to nail the bad guy. That's funny. So he, he talks about school reform just being a bad solution mm -hmm. as well. It's it's not really fixing the problem. No, because it's still school. Right. So he says these don't work because education shouldn't be one size fits all. Mm -hmm. Gatto says the Congregationalists would have recognized this right away. Yeah. Now, whether or not that's true, I can't say. I can't speak for the Congregationalists. Well, maybe because he's saying the Congregational Congregationalists knew that right. they needed what was pertinent to them in their situation. Exactly. And then in a different region, they need something different. Exactly. So that was how they intended to operate. Mm -hmm. And so hopefully they would have recognized mm -hmm. a problem like this and been able to tear it down and, you know, fix it. Mm -hmm. But that's not what we are doing, that's mm -hmm. for sure. Um, and so then the real question by the end, Gatto is wondering, is there a solution? And he says, turn your back on national solutions and towards communities of families as successful laboratories. Cool. And so all of this is really important. Um, he kind of 
is pulling in from all of his previous chapters a little bit here. So some of this will be familiar from other mm-hmm. places. Um, he, he says the ever popular, know thyself, mm. which is true. You know, you we talk about having a mission statement for our homeschooling. When you know what's important to you, you have your goals and you have your foundation as a family for education. Know that. Yeah. And don't compromise it. Yeah. You know, don't be willing to just take that thing over there because it's easier. Right. Do what you want to do. Yeah. Um, good fences make good neighbors. We talked about this in the previous episode. Um, you know, he was calling for community, but he also said you have to look at the family first. And uh, centralization, our government, and the monopolies have totally torn apart our ability to really just stay focused on our family. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we... Uh, read in the the book, and you like this particular area about how the family has just been torn apart, um, or the need for women to be able to work, the desire for women to work, then turned into the need for women to work because of how it completely turned the wage situation and yeah, it's the unintended money. Yeah. unintended consequence of yes, we want freedom for women to make choices, right. But now there's still not a choice, right? Because now in most households, women have, or both partners or spouses have to work, right? It, it's so hard to have a single income home now and give people the choice to stay home with their child. Uh, Gatto was talking about the change in um, the cost of living, mm-hmm. how you in the 50s could live on a single income, typically from a male, the husband of the family, mm-hmm. and that was enough to be middle class. And now you need typically two, two working incomes. parents, two yeah. working adults to ha- be middle class, hopefully. And that's why so many people feel like they can't homeschool because right. they've already built their life on two incomes. Right. And it certainly takes sacrifice. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I work part-time um, because it just makes living a little bit more comfortable for us yeah. and it works. If it didn't work, we would probably make the sacrifice because yeah. homeschooling is non-negotiable. Yeah, we've talked about a number of times do we need to sell this house right? so that we can maintain single income family life and, and, and have freedom still to like maybe take a road trip every now and then. I know. I think it's just a road trip. I'm not asking for anything fancy. As much as I want to go to Europe. Right. But with the cost of gas, $5 a gallon. I know. Yeah. It costs. Yeah. We all know. Um, so he, Continues on with um, discussing his possible solutions and looking towards communities and families by saying you need to recognize, respect, understand, appreciate, and learn from each other's differences. Mm -hmm. So the more closed off we get, the further away we get from this idea of community. Mm -hmm. You know, we're just breaking into these like awful... Well, and the school keeps trying to be this community, which we talked about last time. It's Mm -hmm. a pseudo community. It's a, it's it's a fake one. And then they wonder why mental health in children is so low. Right. Absolutely. Um, He says, um, encourage and underwrite experimentation. Trust children and families to know what's best for themselves. Well, that's an original thought these days. Right. Yeah. Like, I might know what's best for my kids. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the whole takes a village is, we use that a lot. Oh, it takes a village because our yeah. co-op or us moms sure. are helping each other. But on the other hand, it doesn't take a village. Yeah. It actually takes good parents. Right. Well, and I mean, 
I think that you have to define what the village is. The yeah. village is not the neighbors that I don't know. Right. The village is my family and extended family, especially those that, you know, are supportive and have those same values. Mm-hmm. And we have that community in mm-hmm. that true sense. And then there's the extended friend family, you know, yeah, our co-op, for instance. Yeah. They have become our That's village. True. Like yeah, I feel yeah, I like that. I could lean on any one of you in the co-op and feel supported and feel like you would honor anything that I might do different than you for my kids. You're not going to go, she doesn't know what she's doing. Her kids should be doing it this way. And who you are and who your child is. Exactly. And that just happened the other day when I, my daughter's struggling with her teacher and she's only seven and another mom from our co-op, she was like, you need to find out what does she want to do? Right. What does she want to do? And I'm like, Yes, that's a good reminder, and you're helping me with that, too. Mm-hmm. It's like that, just remembering, like, wait, what does she actually want to do? Right. Right, because there's always this desire to push through and to, you know, help your kids do hard things. Mm-hmm. And then there's also a, did she just not, is she just not interested? Yeah. You right. know, and, and what do you want to push? Yeah. Do and you, is this that important to you? Yeah, and having that community of people who know you and know your child so I love what you're saying. The village is who we choose yeah. the village to be. Right. Not who the government chooses right. for the village to be. Exactly. Um, Gatto says that teaching should be decertified. Now, that's a that's a crazy thought. Yeah. But at the same time, I look at all the successful homeschooling moms, most of whom aren't certified teachers. Right. We are resourceful. We know how to find what we need. I'm not teaching from my own brain everything that I want my kid to know. Well, when you think about it, how many jobs do people have certifications for? Exactly. It's mostly in education that people have certifications for. And it can help. Like if you're in business and you get an MBA, it might help you. It might not. Right. But so it's through the interview and connecting with people that you know, like this person is a good educator. I don't care what a piece of paper says, right. You know, this person will be resourceful and they'll figure it out. And the problem with certification is it tells these parents, I can't teach my child because I'm not certified. Right. And then on the flip side of that too, I think that those that are certified feel like that's what they have to do. That's Mm -hmm. what they have to teach. They have to do what their certification gave them Mm -hmm. instead of teaching the children they have. Yeah. Your bunnies in here. I know. They're thumping. They're expressing their dominance. They're probably wondering why we're so loud. Um, But I think that the certification really is a, is a way of separating us from them. Mm -hmm. And then they're not teaching ours. They're just teaching this one way. And that's, again, we've talked about this before. Mm -hmm. That is not in any way to belittle teachers because I think there are so many amazing teachers out there who really strive to do that. It's Definitely. the model that they're stuck well, in. And yeah, what can I mean, you do with 25 kids? If you're going to have 25 kids with all different learning styles, with all different home cultures and right. all that, then of, of course you need some training. Right. Because they all have different special needs and different gifts and, and, yeah. and you're having to deal with 25. Right. So I get why you need some special training right. for that but, and discipline and yeah. where you are. Like the high risk students and the yeah. vulnerable students. Yeah, Absolutely. you're gonna need some extra like like instinct even. Right. And you know? you know who I think would teach them best? People from their communities yeah, who know definitely. what they're going through, who know what they live through. And it's not a segregational 
concept. It's yeah. a, they can best be prepared to meet those students where they are and help them succeed in whatever capacity that means. Yeah, I agree. And I, it, it goes back to the idea of the one-room schoolhouse. Yeah. You know, and I think about that all the time, you know, of, of how neat that would have been. Jane Eyre is my favorite book. And I think all the time about the one-room mm-hmm. schoolhouse, you know, from the, those, that era. You know? So, yes, Gatto says teaching should be decertified. And, I, I mean, you and I couldn't agree more, I think, but it goes beyond that. Mm-hmm. It, it should be decertified and the whole model turned upside down. Mm-hmm. And schooling mm-hmm. should just look a lot different than it yeah. does at the moment. And then those teachers who are so gifted to teach would have more freedom right, to educate in the way that fits the the. the the current community that they're in. And to give of themselves because Mm -hmm. surely each of those teachers is particularly gifted in one area and have passion and have passion and they Mm -hmm. can't teach that in alone. Right. You know, and not that you would want it to only be one subject per se, but you know, it would just be nice for the teachers to actually give more of themselves as a unique individual well, in our community. Well, like I, I have said a, a ton, oh, I'd love to be a kindergarten teacher. Like I'd love to do that. And my husband, who used to work for a, a, a educational publisher, he's like, no, you would not. Because you have to go in line with all the other kindergarten teachers. Right. And you have to stay within like a couple weeks of each other. Like, right. And it's you crazy. all have to teach the same things. So you would have no autonomy. You wouldn't get to use the curriculum that you knew that you think is the best curriculum. All you can actually bring in is your personality. Yeah. And then how much fun are you really going to yeah. have? Yeah. So those poor teachers who have so much to give are stifled. Totally. Yeah, I agree. Um, and then his final point here for the, his question of is there a solution is um, you need to encourage competition and free market model. Mm-hmm. And so that's that huge. Schools? That's the that's the school choice idea. Yeah. You oh know, schools should be able to govern themselves, mm-hmm. again, going back to the idea of being able to teach the community that they are in, mm-hmm. not worried about keeping up with the community 10 miles over. You know, teach the kids that you have mm-hmm. and allow them to go to a better fit. Yeah. If kids really should be somewhere else or desire a different kind, like the STEM schools are amazing. Yeah. If your kid is is really into STEM mm-hmm. and they want all of that kind of um education, they should be free to go there, Yeah, you know, and not have to make it a big deal to leave the school that they're at to do that. And then likewise, an art school. Yeah. Why can't your kid go to a performing arts yeah. school if that's what their preference is? Yeah. They'll get math and English in too, but yeah, they're going to totally. learn amazing things and be passionate and then hopefully be great contributors to society because they're happy. Yeah, exactly. Happy and nice. well-rounded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um... He said that the American solution to the great school nightmare would be these things, yeah. right? So the American solution, the idea of, you know, what we went through in the revolution, like you can't control us, you know, you don't know what we're doing, yeah. the localization, that is what he's calling the American solution. And then that would be the solution to our education. Well, and nightmare. private schools used to have not require any certification or anything, but then to get their WASC accreditation, yep. like the Western Association, yeah. I don't even know what it says, but WASC right, is right, like right. a major accreditor. They, to have that, they have to have a certain percentage of their teachers credentialed, which I believe is like 
pretty high, like 80 to right. 90%. Right. So then even private schools are no longer autonomous. Right. You know, that's, again, they got pulled into this centralized system. Mm-hmm. It's monopoly. That's mm-hmm. why Gatto calls them monopoly yeah. government schools all And they the time. believe they have to be accredited because right. the colleges, I guess, are communicating that. I'm guessing. But know. here's the thing. Homeschoolers aren't accredited, and no. they're letting in homeschoolers. Yeah. So I wish private schools would kind of stand up more for, right. like, we don't need to be accredited. Right. But maybe if they want their students to be able to get funding, is that yeah, maybe Yeah, I don't know. But there's something either. that goes along with the accreditation. Like, oh, we're an accredited school. <laughs> oh, good for yeah, you. Yeah, you put that on all your yeah. flyers. Yeah. So... That kind of concludes chapter five, unless yeah. you have anything sort Toast. of left over. Yeah. Um, and then the bonus chapter is actually um, the prologue to Gatto's other book, Weapons of Mass Instruction. So we actually aren't going to really dive into yeah. this, um, just because that's a different book, and it's for another time. And it looks really good, actually. Yeah, it looks I, really I good. I underlined and start a lot of things. Yeah. Um, so if you like dumbing us down or if you like this discussion and you don't feel a need to read dumbing us down because we have fully discussed it, discussed for you. it um, quote by quote, yeah, <laughs> uh, try a, what's it called? Ma- weapons of mass instruction. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really <laughs> clever a title. Yeah. So, um, you know, I don't know that we'll do another Gatto book on here, but yeah. if we're still doing this in 10 years, why not? Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. And so then... Our concluding thoughts here. Yeah. Um, overall, Gatto uses his previous speecher, speeches, speeches, uh, and papers getting to, you. <laughs> to build a case against the government schooling monopoly. Um, he poses several ways the typical solutions are not enough um, and that we need radical change. Mm-hmm. In the final chapter, he offers an economic solution to the problem, which is the decentralization of education. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we thought... A great way to kind of conclude this book would be to ask a couple questions. Yeah, um, sounds great. Which would be, who would we recommend this book to? So, do you want to go first? Sure. Okay. Um, uh, the should I homeschool crowd? Oh yeah. Because I feel like if someone were to even read chapter one, I think that's all they need to read. They totally. read chapter one, and it's the seven. Um, what does he say? These are the things I teach. These are things oh, yeah. you pay me to teach. Give them what you will. So it was, he teaches confusion, class position, indifference, emotional dependency, intellectual dependency, provisional self-esteem, and one can't hide. And then he ends the speech by saying, school is a 12-year jail sentence where bad habits are the only curriculum truly learned. I teach school and win awards doing it. I should know. And I feel like it is. And I feel like someone who's wondering if they should homeschool or not, if they just read chapter one or listen to chapter one for this podcast, which is um, part two of this book club, uh, they would definitely, it would give them something to think about. Yeah, I agree. Um, And then for those who are wondering what we mean by this, should I homeschool? That was episode 76. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of answered these two questions, could I homeschool and should I? And so this is really geared towards that should I crowd um, because it's a great way 
um, to really rethink the public schools because it's really easy. And we do this a lot, even mm-hmm. on our podcast. One time we'll speak really strongly against the public schools, mm-hmm. especially when we're reading this book. Yeah, right. And then other times we're like, well, it wasn't so bad. We yeah, went yeah. through I it. I thrived in it. Right. I, you know, and but ultimately we don't agree with it. Yeah. And it's about having a balanced view, like seeing that there are good things that can come out exactly. of it. But we are making this choice to homeschool for a reason. Right. And this only solidifies it. So even if I was thinking mm-hmm. like, oh, maybe in a couple years for sports, you know, just reading this book like reminds me absolutely not. Right. It's not worth the sacrifice. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, and then the other group that we would recommend this to is for current homeschoolers. Yeah. Particularly in all of our tendencies to school at home. I know. It's so hard because it is, it is nice to to work like a machine, to have your checklist, to go right. from one subject to the next, to the next, to the next, right. with like two or three hours in a row, you know, yeah. that would be school at home. Right. But if even if you just put in bigger breaks and let them choose some, then you've already fought the battle against school right. at home. Even way back at the beginning of this episode, when I was sharing my scoop and how we schooled on Sunday, oh, yeah. it made me feel guilty of school at home even though that wasn't the point of it the point was because we were doing hands-on learning and it wanted us to be prepared for it right but even still there's something about being so pushy that makes it feel like school at home mere fact that you're educating and living life together and being preparing for an event that was happening on wednesday and you you had a you had a goal, mm-hmm. you know, and and you had total control over that goal. I did, yeah. So I wasn't, and, yeah. And that's what you knew would work best in the schedule because you know your Tuesdays are filled up, you right. know. So in in order to not be rushed, which is the school at home model, right? You said hey, and you gave your daughter like the reasons why. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah, thank you. I feel better. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I think we all have our moments where we're like, oh my goodness, I just. I just was the school to my kid. Mm -hmm. You know, this is not what I homeschool for. This is not what I believe in. And so I think that this book is really great reminder Mm -hmm. to just completely work on ditching that mindset. Yeah. Just like Sarah McKenzie says in Teaching from Rest, she says, we don't need to be a slave to homeschool. I mean, to curriculum. To curriculum. Yeah. You don't need to be a slave to curriculum. The curriculum is just a tool. Right. And so as long as you kind of flip it like that, you can still do all the subjects, still do your curriculum, but see it as you are autonomous, you are sovereign in in accordance with your child's education. And you don't don't have to answer in anyone. Absolutely. Yeah. Anything else that you want to say about this book? So yeah, that first chapter was just really impactful. Totally. So, um, and then my big takeaway was just, you know, remembering my own mission in homeschooling and definitely why I'm doing what I'm doing. Right. Just, he's not talking to us in any of this book. He's talking to fellow educators Mm -hmm. primarily. Yeah. But just to be the people that he's upholding here. Yes. Be these people. I'm like, yeah. I want to be these yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. I am that mom. I am those people who are family, you know, oriented. Yeah. You yeah. Know, everything is family centric. And yeah. I love that. And so it's just reaffirming. Yeah. All right. So should we do our Coop Q&A where we answer your questions? Um, the question is, uh-huh. do you do testing? 
And should homeschoolers be testing? Oh, what do you think, <laughs> Jesse? Well, I said, yes, we both do testing because we're part of a public school, um, the independent study charter school, which requires students to take state testing mm-hmm. in order to receive its funding. Yeah. And so since we like to benefit from the funding at this point in time, mm-hmm. we have to comply with yeah. the, the testing unless we had a really yeah. valid I mean, there's an opt-out, but why would I? I mean... I don't feel good about opting out. Yeah, when I'm getting the benefits of it. Right. And my my child personally doesn't struggle with the testing. It doesn't bother you her. Know, to one do of it. mine loves it. Like she's like, can't wait. She keeps asking when it's happening. <laughs> so and then funny. one of mine, he's in tears about it. But Aww. but I I I see it as a way to teach him these skills since yeah. he'll need them later on. Definitely. Um now if we didn't home school yeah, through a public charter. Yeah. yeah, would you even bother? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, so I I think that in general senses, you know, we're not anti-testing. I'm more anti-state testing right. than anything else. And so if we weren't a part of a charter, I would in no way want to take anything that's even equivalent to the state mm-hmm. testing. I don't mm-hmm. care where my kid measures with other kids yeah, like no. that. Yeah. You know, I would only be testing for her own knowledge for anything I felt was important for her to have comprehensive understanding mm-hmm. of. And so, yeah, I just feel like um, the testing doesn't provide us with anything, you know, other than Comparison and competition. Yeah, exactly. and so then what about the more general question, should homeschoolers test? And so my simple answer was no. Mm-hmm. It should be a choice each family gets to make for themselves. Definitely. If you want yeah. to, absolutely. Yeah. But should you? Yeah. I say no. If, if your kid is pursuing, wanting to, like if your kid is in high school, let's say, and wanting to pursue a certain occupation that would require a lot of testing to get into it, yes. like med school or something, totally, or law school, then yes, teach them testing skills. Do yeah. the SAT Princeton review prep test yeah. just so they can learn test taking skills right. and how to fit a lot of questions in, in a short period of time. Totally. But if they're going to go be an artist or a photographer, there's really no reason. Right. And if they need to be tested on something, they probably will be okay. Yeah, yeah. They'll, fi- they'll figure it out. Thanks for listening. We love your support. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, leave a rating and review to let us know how we're doing, and share our podcast with your friends who need a little community, humility, and joyful fun in homeschooling.